0: What's up? It is 3 p.m. on a Sunday afternoon. Thanks for tuning in to Cannabis Legalization News, where we explain marijuana laws so you can change them. Today, we're joined by Michael Arbuck from the uh, the parent company. The parent company is the largest uh, vertically integrated multi or the largest vertically integrated uh, omni-channel cannabis platform in California. We're going to be talking about cannabis stocks, uh, talk about uh, the global cannabis market, future trends and all that jazz. So let's just get right into it. Hey, Michael. Hey, Miggy. And Tom, what's up, everybody? (laughs) Largest multi channel, or Michael, can you tell us the largest vertically integrated multi channel canvas company in California? Is that correct?
1: Correct. Largest vertically integrated omni channel platform in California. There it is. Now, what does that mean? <laughs> so, we're the largest vertically integrated cannabis platform, which means from seed to sale, uh, we have the largest footprint. Um, and uh, in terms of omni-channel platform, um, we are able to, you know, not only sell our brands through our own D2c but we're selling third-party brands as well, um, similar to you know other um, other sites out there that um, that are TTC.
2: So you, re- you guys recently uh signed a deal acquired like the parent company is it encompasses both uh kaliva and monogram right
1: yeah so the the spac transaction so i was the founder of subversive capital acquisition corp uh we identified uh, two targets in california kaliva and left coast ventures um kaliva had an existing joint venture uh relationship with jay-z uh, and they launched the brand Monogram. Um, And so we acquired the other 50 percent of that JV as part of this transaction.
3: So how did you come by that? uh, uh, Those two companies was your it was the parent company just on the lookout for uh, acquisitions.
1: Yeah. So when you launch a SPAC, you've got 18 months or our SPAC had 18 months to go find one or more targets. We always had anticipated um, doing a, a cannabis company in the U.S., and we focused um, squarely on California for the most part. However, we did um, we did uh, look at over a hundred assets uh, over the 18 month period or over the 14 month period from the time we started to the time we signed with, um, with Kalima and Left Coaster.
2: So the parent company itself is the SPAC and you were as submersive, or uh, sorry, was it submersive? Subversive. The, subversive uh, as, as the company raising the capital for that SPAC and then uh, the parent company itself becomes a SPAC, right?
1: So, no. So, the SPAC is the Special Purpose Acquisition Corp., which is subversive capital. And okay. we went out and raised $575 million. We then identified two targets. Oh, The SPAC merged into those two targets, creating the parent company.
3: And those two targets, somebody got paid on this deal, right? I mean, like you raised the $500 million. How much of that went to Jay-Z? four dollars um, and twenty cents <laughs> it was it was an all-stock
1: deal so none of the cash went to any of the targets nor wow. did it, jay-z so it was an all-stock deal which is why we kept most of the cash uh in trust um for the for growing the business
2: that's pretty smart i mean as far on his perspective i know he's into uh longevity of uh uh you know, uh, what's the the term uh, generation mm-hmm. wealth? Yeah, yeah. Uh, especially in uh, in his uh, uh, when he talks in the uh, the, the story of OJ Simpson. You know, uh, when he buys a house, buy property. You know, and things that because you're talking about being a hundred year company, right?
1: Exactly. And so one of the reasons, I mean, Jay-Z named our company the parent company because, you know, uh, I mean, I don't know if he said this publicly, but um, but it's a it's sort of a meta name that really represents that we're creating this first 100 year company. Like it it is the cannabis company Um, and exactly right in terms of building not only a generational company, but building generational wealth for its founders.
3: And I'm pretty sure Jay-Z was already there. I mean, he was worth a lot. If that can't make it three generations, what can? Uh, However, maybe he's not worried about his grandkids. He's worried about his grandkid, grandkids, grandkids. And that's cool. But um, so you guys are just going into this and you're still really well capitalized. But you mentioned that a SPAC has 18 months to identify an acquisition target and then to uh, close on it. What happens if they can't do that within that time frame?
1: Yeah, so we've closed. So we're no longer a SPAC. So the parent company is a standalone company. The SPAC is gone. Um, So if I hadn't closed the transaction on January 15th with Kaliva and Left Coast Ventures, um, the SPAC just expires. Uh, the investors get their money back and I will have lost whatever capital we had put in to try to do this
2: Wow so SPAC's just a momentary like investment uh, pondering for a minute and if you can't figure it out then everybody gets their money back
1: yeah so fifty percent of SPAC sponsors you know fail uh, and end up not being able to find a target
3: Wow. Well, uh, it was fortunate that you were able to find two and then uh, remain adequately capitalized. So because you were able to absorb an all stock deal, one of the questions that I just have to have is like, well, what type of tax implications is that? So uh, what corporate organizations were the uh, targets? So
1: the the two targets were Delaware. I believe they were Delaware C Corps. Um, and we're also a Delaware uh, corporation as well. So,
3: fairly common, and that would make the the absorption through uh, an all stock deal more feasible, right? Yeah, this was a, a very tax efficient structure. Wow. No. Just we just like to give tips out for those watching at home. You know, yeah. and, uh, there's reasons why that's set up that way.
2: With because I saw that you guys are um, aiming, especially with 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 uh, the Rock Nation, you guys are going to definitely own. Pretty much like the youth market and uh, uh, more of the uh, like uh, activity type market, the recreational use. But like, are you guys because the cannabis space involves the gamut of old people, the municipal side? Uh, how are you guys going to try and reach out to that, those people as well?
1: How are we going to
2: reach out to which kind of people? Well, like so, like because I see the Rock Nation and and the, the what you have going on monogram is a very useful type branding, you know, it's a type, uh, uh, you know, with the cabassier going out, doing a thing, hanging out, but the industry is huge, you know, cause you guys are centralized in California right now and you yeah. have, you still have a lot of old heads out there. You know, is there, is there another uh, branch or is there another, another acquisition out there you guys are looking at to do or anything like that? We're definitely
1: inquisitive, um, and are looking for to consolidate and dominate the state of California. Um, You know, we do believe that the end of prohibition will happen this calendar year um, and that um, and that regardless of whether or not interstate commerce is included, uh, the first go around, we will eventually have interstate commerce. um, And therefore, California really becomes the tip of the spear in a post prohibition cannabis economy. Um, You know, population wise, it's the size of Canada. Um, and from a from a user perspective, is I think twice as many uh, users in California than in, than in Canada. Um, so a massive a massive market opportunity in itself. Um, and then in a post-prohibition cannabis economy, you can see that cultivation will be coming from California, Nevada, Arizona, and brands will be coming from Los Angeles and New York.
3: Typical. They manufacture it somewhere outside of the cities in which they sell it. Um, that's fast. From like growing up in New York, um,
1: you know, it was California, Oregon, uh, British Columbia, marijuana that was being sold in Washington Square Park. Um, and so while that was part of our illicit trade, there would be no reason why in a, in a legal framework, um, people living in Dallas or Miami um, can't partake in California grown
3: weed. Yeah, I think that's really going to keep the price up of Humboldt County uh, weed. Uh, have you heard of the the appellations that some people are, are talking about, how it'd be interesting if weed was identified by where it was grown?
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that weed is more similar to wine than it is to, say, beer or hops, um, because there is a terroir. Um and I think California certainly has its own terroir, as does Oregon and, and Washington State and British Columbia. Um, but, you know, we're now in this s- state siloed, um, you know, uh, way of doing things. And there's cannabis being grown in places like Minnesota and uh and you know, upstate New York, um, you know, places that traditionally wouldn't uh, have real agricultural economies—they wouldn't grow tomatoes or peppers, let alone cannabis—and um, so this is an agricultural product and should be grown in states that have the right weather and climate um, for this type of cultivar.
2: I saw that you talked about the vertical being the way to go In um, Washington in the early days of the medical. That's kind of how it has to be right. The guy had to plant the seed. The guy had to be the one with the storefront. The guy had to be the one to sell it, market, whatever. Um, but then we've had guests before to say that's not feasible because it's a lot for one hat to take in. But you being with the, the, the bigger funding, you're able to actually have like an HR department, whatnot, uh, Do you see like the farm acquisitions that you guys will be doing? Is it still going to be like under a monogram, like one type branding type thing? Because that's the thing about the cannabis uh, like culture. You know, we have farmers that are famous for having great brands and genetics.
1: So I definitely think that um, so similar to certain agricultural products that are also branded like Driscoll's or, you know, Howling's Tomatoes. um, You know, there there is a place for sort of, you know, farm to table cannabis where the farmer. Um, has a you know a great genetic bank and you know high you know high THC or really nice you know looking flower um, where farmers could brand it. I mean, a good example of a, you know, a group of farmers that have a great brand in California is um, is Raw Garden in Central Coast. Um, they've got a great brand and, and those guys are are those guys are farmers. Um, so I definitely think there's a place for that. Um, absolutely. In terms of in terms of what the parent company is doing, the, the parent company is obviously vertically integrated from, you know, from cultivation through retail um, and manufacturing in between. Uh, you know, while Monogram is our you know luxury um, more high-end brand, uh, we have different brands for different categories of consumers. So we have got value brands, um, sort of mid-tier market brands okay. uh, so we're, we're we're you know there's a spectrum of brands from sort of you know um, value to to luxury we're we're on the entire
2: spectrum. I was different. curious about that, yeah, because you know on your website, it doesn't show the the plethora of other uh, you know brands that are out there, so I was just curious like to to be stable in that futuristic market you have to have that variety
1: hundred percent so we're you know we're in the process now of integrating the two companies and the websites and the platforms and you've got the monogram company website and the parent company's uh, ir website you've got the Kaliva.com website which is also the delivery platform and so we're in the process of integrating all of that um to have it make more sense to the consumer um you know we're we're only six weeks in from closing and so you know we're taking our time to you know it's going to be a hundred year company and so we're not uh we're not in any rush um, to to get to sort of. We're, we're, we want to do things thoughtfully as opposed to things quickly.
3: Interesting. So you, you mentioned that you're a multi-state operator. Are you going to be uh, taking advantage of what you think the areas in the United States are to cultivate uh, in anticipation of uh, federal legalization? So we're a single state operator, we only operate
1: in California, um, or we call it a super state operator, um, And uh, um, but we do plan to, um, to ensure that our brands are available uh, to people in other states and we'll do that through an asset light approach um, in terms of uh, partnering with, uh, with licensed producers in various states.
3: IP agreements and, and marketing agreements and the likes. Yeah, I think the states that
1: interest us are the adult use states or the soon-to-be adult use states, um, and so we're, you know, we we're definitely looking at places like New York and and others um, as places where we believe our brands would be quite successful. <laughs>
3: You you founded Submersive Capital, which is dedicated to investing in radical companies. Uh, that's what I've been told, at least. What uh, what do you think makes a? or how do you define a company that's radical?
1: Yeah, so Submersive Capital was started in 2013 um, really to look at companies that require some type of regulatory or government relations strategy for the success of the company. I'm a commercial diplomat by trade. I work with the former U.S. Secretary of State, Madeleine Albright, in my day job. Um, and so the idea around radical companies is not necessarily something that's just disruptive, but something that makes government adjust the way that it works. Um, and so there's a difference between sort of, you know, a new, um, you know, app on your phone that makes it easier to record memos. That's going to disrupt, you know, some other piece of software that you used, or you know, Google uh, Google Sheets is disrupting Excel. Um, there's no government involvement there. But when you get things like Uber or Airbnb or the cannabis industry or anything in the cannabis industry or some of the biotech, gaming, real money gaming, online. Um, you know, all of these types of very disruptive industries are changing the way government regulates. Um, And that's what I find the most fascinating. This is the first time in our lifetime with cannabis. um, We'll see something go from illicit to licit and everything that goes along with that, I find to be extraordinarily uh, intriguing and fascinating and also, um, you know, uh, a great time to invest because uh, we're before uh, the beginning. Uh, So we're, you know, we haven't even started the, uh, the inning yet.
3: Yeah. I, I I kind of think that a dot com boom is going to be interesting like that. The chart on that. Imagine that you couldn't list your Internet company. You know, and you have to do all this chicanery to try to, like, uh, uh, access the capital markets. And not only can you not list your Internet company, you can't get a bank account if somebody finds out you're trying to run a business on the Internet or something. I mean, it's such a bizarre world that the cannabis space is occupying. And what will happen? I'm not sure, but I see these MSOs going out there and acquiring and, um, you know, their balance sheet have a lot of goodwill on it and a lot of, like, you know, intangibles because I think they're all these licenses very heavily. And of course, there's been a lot of acquisitions in the industry. I don't know how well regulated, you know, uh, non-scheduled THC cannabis uh, is going to be to that industry. I mean, like they're. They're kind of debt heavy. You look at them, they aren't making any money. Um, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens once they can actually list. And then uh, after the dot-com boom, because the Internet was still very young. It only started in, like, 91 or something. So, like, by 99, it was hot. If it's going to be a, a pretty big hot thing, and then it'll, it'll – you know, what it always does crashes, and then if it'll take time to come back, or or what's going to happen? Yeah, so I was actually a
1: part of the dot com uh, boom and bust. Um, I, I started the first internet television company, uh, sort of cool. YouTube before there was YouTube. The difference between uh, the difference between the cannabis industry and uh, and the internet bubble was that during the internet bubble, I mean, you could literally just sort of, you know, unplug your server and you did not have a company. Um, The cannabis industry, particularly the U.S. cannabis industry, has real customers, real revenue, uh, real infrastructure, real profitability. Um, You know, there was a lot of smoke and mirrors during the sort of the 1999 to 2000 um, when the bust really occurred. Um, There really was no there there. Uh, people weren't building big, um, you know, big systems, you know, Google and YouTube and the ones that we know today um, were built, you know, four or five years after, um, you know, the the bust. Um, and so the, it's it's different um while i do think that the market is in a bit of a bubble i don't think it's specific to the cannabis industry uh the cannabis you know cannabis consumers um you know uh it's one of these sort of non-elastic markets whereby um it's it's pretty steady and then in in you know sort of down markets there's an increase in cannabis use um and so um so you know these are these are companies that are that are going to be around for a long time
2: I was was trying to get to like the consumer is always like a flat line. You have recreational users, people who are Friday night users because it's a great time. But I think majority because it's a 20 billion dollar tax revenue industry are just flat line daily consumers. You know, I I consider myself a high use consumer. Um, But then, you know, there are people who are just um, like clutching up pearls and still waiting. You know, how do we get these people? How do we? pull them out you know because yeah. i think, i just think like with media what if are you, are you familiar with tom segura uh the comedian tom segura no i'm not they, they had a chance to sign a podcast deal with mcdonald's for a million dollars but they are two million but they got canceled because they had uh, a, a raunchy joke about a video online like most people do they stream a video and, and talk about it mcdonald's pulled that in a heartbeat but if you can get a McDonalds to endorse a cannabis, I think it would or like a, a podcast, a paper, an ad. You know, that would be huge. You know, that that's the more centralization mainstream.
1: Yeah, so I agree. I mean, I do think that um that we need, you know, it, the the more legitimacy to the industry it, that is brought by sort of mainstream, uh, the better. One of the reasons why we've done this um this partnership with Rock Nation, for instance, is you know, Rock Nation is a joint venture with Live Nation. It's uh Jay-Z's entertainment powerhouse. Um, they represent some of the you know the world's leading artists and athletes, they have partnerships with the NFL. Um, and other institutions that you know are sort of you know made in America, um, and being being able to um, being able to uh, to have a partner um, that is so highly respected among um, institutions within our country that are uh, powerful and respected is important uh, piece in you know moving us towards the end of prohibition. Um, so I couldn't agree with you more. Um, so I, I do think that you'll start seeing more Fortune 500 companies um, get into the space. We already have companies like Altria and AB InBev um, that are in the industry. Um, and I'm assuming and uh, believe that, you know, other Fortune 500 companies will be entering the industry um, in no uncertain terms and time.
3: You think it's just more along the lines of currently it's illegal, so we won't promote it?
1: I think it's mostly just around the federal the federal rules. Um, the publicly U.S. publicly traded companies are concerned that they might get delisted. Um, I don't think there's anyone out there that's really concerned about reputational risk at this point. Um, you know, even some of the major networks, uh, cannabis is uh, included in conversations and uh, on uh, you know primetime television, um, uh, which wasn't the case three or four years ago. Um, so I do think that uh, the stigma uh, behind cannabis use is essentially gone.
3: Yeah, it's right really cool?
1: about protecting one's um, banking relationships and, uh, and listing uh, is the are the hurdles that need to uh, yeah. be overcome.
3: But what about the so you think that the uh the descheduling of cannabis, so it's no longer illegal, will actually hasten the destigmatization process against the cannabis plant?
1: Certainly, if we were to deschedule, uh, which we should do, uh, which it looks like we're going to do, um then I think that not only does that, you know, sort of put the nail on the coffin of prohibition, but I do think it would lift the stigma um, for consumers that are on the sidelines that are that are waiting to um, to, you know, potentially replace uh, their opiates or prescription drugs or alcohol for uh, for cannabis,
3: yeah, I mean the, the studies on that are clear that we have data on it. But uh, Illinois, as now in its second year of having a, a legal market, and amendments to the bills or other other bills are coming up now. One of them has to do with uh, education. On cannabis, and so how they're going to actually teach people about the endocannabinoid system, uh, which is really really fascinating. So I'm not sure if, uh, as other states come online and, and start you know regulating their own plants, how how they think they should, if those types of courses, because very often the money from the cannabis re- uh, taxes will be put into uh, schools or whatnot.
1: No it's true all of the things that uh, the cultural warriors uh, were um, warning us were going to happen that um, there would be more use ar- among uh, under 18s that there would be um, more uh, vehicular accidents that there would be more violence and um, uh, and uh, and you know illicit behavior around dispensaries none of that actually happened in fact the opposite was true um, you know under 18 age uh, cannabis use is at its lowest Rate it's even lower in states that have uh, that have uh, legalized adult use. Um, nobody has uh, nobody is the the numbers of car accidents that have occurred from people smoking cannabis are can be counted on uh, you know probably two hands. Um, uh, people when people smoke cannabis or use cannabis, the last thing in the world they want to do is get into a car. And if they do get into the car, they're usually going about two miles per hour. Um, you know, the, in terms of violence, ask any law enforcement officer if they're responding to. A Domestic uh, call. They much prefer that the husband and wife or the partners um, are smoking cannabis than drinking alcohol. Um, And so, you know, none of the sort of the the issues that people warned us against actually happen. In fact, um, a lot of social good has come from the legalization of cannabis.
2: One hundred percent. Speaking about in the terms of legislation, is there any? There are any cities or states that you believe are addressing social equity the best?
1: I think they're all trying um, I, you know they didn't in the beginning and I think a lot of them are trying um, California has had some you know fits and stops uh, along the way there there's been a number of social equity programs that have been um, that have been just object failures um, and I think that you know, people have learned from their mistakes, but it's not just the social equity programs; also the the medical marijuana and adult use programs. Like these, these programs are adjusted. Um, you have policymakers building these programs that you know aren't necessarily experts, um, and uh, and so you know, I'm giving them a bit of a pass. Uh, but at this point, I think that we should have a sort of a national social equity program um, that really uses this industry as a way to bring entrepreneurs of color. Um, and communities of color that have been most affected by prohibition um, ability to own real equity um, in this new industry. Um, Right now, this industry is primarily white. It is primarily male. Um, and it's primarily full of people that have access to capital um, and so that is uh, that is not uh, that is not a uh, what uh, what the the cannabis um, regulatory landscape should look like yeah. um, it should uh, it should provide for um, entrepreneurs of color to enter this industry which is one of the reasons why at the parent company uh, we set aside um, uh, 10 million dollars to start to begin investing uh, in social equity applicants we've had over a 100 um, inbounds uh, since we announced the program just a few weeks ago. Um, We're in the process of creating a structure around that. and uh, We should have some good news on that in the next uh, in the next few weeks. Um, you know, we are also going to uh, we've have, we've have accepted the two percent challenge, where we'll take two percent of our net income every year um, and also reinvest that into social equity programs and social equity investment uh, of this social equity investment vehicle as part of the parent company. Um, and uh, we couldn't be more you know thrilled with that idea. And the, we're going to concentrate on California, although we'll invest in other jurisdictions and other. Social equity platforms but mm-hmm. the, the, you know one of the big barriers for a truly social um equitable uh platform for cannabis is you should be able to be an entrepreneur of color in brooklyn and come up with a brand and be able to have access to distribution and supply chain networks that allow you to sell that brand in los angeles
2: isn't that what's happening now no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm in with Jay Z. Just kidding, yeah. but you know, but, but, but with your uh, the sector because it's, it's the applications on your website for the parent company for the social equity. What are you guys looking for? Like, is it just growers? Because I mean, you guys are going to be kingmakers with ten million dollars. <sighs>
1: yeah so you know we're gonna we're gonna make a number of investments uh anywhere between two hundred and fifty thousand dollar to a million dollar investments over a period of two to three years um we'll continue to you know add to the the coffers and we have other um you know other sort of friends of the parent company that you know might invest alongside of alongside us as well um but we'll be looking at um i mean we are looking at cultivation brands retail C to C platforms, um, you know, you name it. We've uh, we've been presented with some very compelling business plans thus far, and we're in the process of uh, of working through them now. One of the nice things about you know our ability, as opposed to uh, just a standalone venture fund, is that uh, because this is um, an on-balance sheet investment vehicle, as part of the parent company, we're also be looking to make investments where we can provide them scale. Um, And so, if we're investing in a in a brand or a a retail establishment in California. Uh, we can also provide them other services besides cash um, in providing them access to our you know ERP system to you know low-cost flour to other brands for their shelves um, you know distribution um, you know things that aren't just um, just writing a check
3: sure that's awesome and um, what's the ERP stand for
1: so the system that uh, that controls um, controls inventory and uh, and finance
3: hmm. Yeah, they, it's cottage industry. Some states will have like a, a approved vendor. So like Illinois was BioTrack THC for their inventory control. I think California is a metric state, but then metric is older. So there's a lot more providers that can plug into its API. Um That's awesome. And like, I'm really stoked that California has a lot of it's a municipal uh, type of license. And so Sacramento is just closed or it's currently still going. And it's just at one stage of it is closed. Sacramento is a core program right now that is uh, social equity based. And other how many other communities are going to be legalizing in California this year or like handing out additional licenses? So I
1: think that on this past election cycle in November, something like 30 new municipalities legalized. Um, and so, you know, I, I I can't imagine that we'll have... Uh, um, any municipalities within California that haven't legalized by, you know, the in, in the next 24 months, it'll be interesting to see sort of, you know, the end of prohibition. I think we will end up having some dry counties in the country, um, and maybe some sort of dry states. Um, but hopefully, you'll be able to again, you know, grow and package on the West Coast and and you know drive that uh, those products to Miami and you know uh, um, Virginia and North Carolina. Um, at the same time, I do think it's important that states you know control distribution their tax regimes um, and their social equity programs Um, because we we do want to ensure that um that you know social equity doesn't just stay in a single state um that prohibition has harmed communities of color in all 50 states um and we need to rectify those wrongs um, and use this industry as a tool to do so
3: yeah. So then what's your opinion on the limited license market versus a more open license market?
1: Yeah, I mean, we should have an open license market. Um, I understand yeah. why a limited license market exists and why many of our competitors uh, prefer limited license markets so that they can have monopolies or oligopolies. Um, you know, that is not the way that uh, U.S. commerce works um, and uh, and the cannabis industry should not follow suit
3: oh yeah yeah Yeah. i I don't really like seeing all that equity on their balance sheet under you know these these assets that they just have it's a that's a license in ohio and you know it's all right sure and you bought these other licenses okay fine good some goodwill over there but uh, like you know
1: cities municipalities can say well we don't want you know seven Uh, dispensaries on one street. I mean, I live in Manhattan and there are rules around you have to be 200 feet from a school and there can't be more than a few licenses. So limited in that sense, but that it's open and that anyone can apply. And, you know, uh, as opposed to you only give seven and that's it.
3: What about like a Budweiser bar? There's no like Budweiser bar. There's like a Budweiser tasting room. If you go to that brewery, do you think the license will ever be the three tiered distribution uh, or retail model that alcohol took on after prohibition?
1: Yeah, fortunately and unfortunately, I do think this is going to model alcohol. Um, so I do think we'll probably have these sort of state based distribution mafias. Um, you know, it's it's sort of, you know, you sort of pick your battles in wanting to end prohibition um, if that's what we have to live with uh, to ensure that. I can produce my Budweiser in New Jersey and sell that Budweiser in Seattle, even if I have to go to a different distribution truck to do it. Um, you know, I think that uh, you know we'll take our wins and our losses where we can get them.
2: Right Is uh, working with the uh, the parent company, uh, say like even the like successful actor, like, but you're talking how it's not going to be just cash, right? You're also working at the Rock Nation, and Rock Nation also does uh, manages uh, football players or uh, sports athletes. Is that a possibility? Like CBD? Do you see athletes coming into the to picture here? You know, endorsements and whatnot.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. So the NFL already uh, announced a program where they're going to start looking at CBD for their players. Um, they're running their process now. Other sports teams, sports leagues, have come out in in favor of an uh, use of CBD. Um, you know, some sports teams have, uh, have said that if you're using um, in a medical-only state that there won't be any issues in terms of your ability to play or not play. Um, you know, cannabis testing in some leagues and sports has, uh, has just ceased. Um, so you know, sort of moving all in the right direction. Um, but I do anticipate all major sporting leagues, the NFL, the MLB, the NHL, um, all to embrace uh, cannabis and CBD, uh, but both THC and CBD um particularly you know uh on things like pan man- pain management and inflammation and um you know other uh, other issues that athletes uh, suffer from where um, prescription drugs have just been um you know uh, a, a colossal disaster um to those communities
3: yeah and I also think there might be something in there for the concussion protocols <laughs> because uh one of the things that patent uh 663507 specifically prescribed about um what the THC and the CBD and the other cannabinoid molecules are is this ability to be a neuroprotectorate. And so, like, if you get a concussion, should your protocol include taking CBD or, or, or a THC to help um, prevent and to, to facilitate more healing in that? I don't know. It'd be nice to see that research. But unfortunately- yeah,
1: honestly, I don't know either. And I think I would also like to see that research as well. I will say that, you know, cannabinoids are sort of nature's um you know anti-inflammatory agent um, and so anything you know having to do with the inflammatory system I mean I'm epileptic or sort of the neuro, the neuroinflammatory system or the endocannabinoid system I do think that um, that uh, that CBD can play an important role in that um, but I think that would be a useful um, study to do is to see you know what CBD or THC has any effect on uh, both concussion prevention and treatment
3: yeah. I mean, it's just it's such a terrible byproduct of our current law that like, it's currently there. I mean, like it's a statutory definition of marijuana, which is prohibiting uh, the industry from doing many things and prohibiting the any type of research on that particular issue for being done in this country when it ha- comes to THC. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, I agree, um, you know, most of the research that has been done in the United States for the past 50 years has been around the negative effects of cannabis, uh, because that was the only thing you could get approval from NIDA to do. Um, that's starting to change. We're starting to see real research and real clinical trials for a number of indications. Um, and so, uh, so I anticipate uh, when legalization occurs and the end of prohibition happens, um, that the sort of the the floodgates will open for more scientific inquiry into how cannabis can be effective for various indications.
3: So did you actually share that you were epileptic back there or uh, did you slide that in that's uh, efficacious for epilepsy?
1: Yeah, no. So I'm, you know, personally, yes, but also involved in uh, both epilepsy research and, um, and a, a few epilepsy. Foundations, including Faces, which is finding a cure for epilepsy. Um, you know, my personal doctor was the uh, the doctor that um, that ran the first GW Pharma trial for epidiolex. Uh and my family has a number of friends who have children that uh, that have either tried Epidylex or are currently on uh, um And so, um, so one of one of my interests in this industry has always been um, from the medical side, uh, specifically around the indication of epilepsy.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, just no. That's, that's that's the that's the thing. I mean, that's that's really really great that you have that ability. But the most people don't understand the endocannabinoid. They've never heard of it. I and mean, like you, you, I mean, you, to t- have it touch you so personally is a, a very powerful thing. Do you uh, credit that? for one of the reasons why you wanted to become uh, where you are in the cannabis industry
1: certainly no it's been definitely something that um, that you know brought was one of the reasons why I was interested in uh, entering into this industry as an investor um, and it's certainly something that I've dedicated resources and time to um, you know I'm a director uh, and one of the early funders of Tilray um, who did a pediatric epilepsy sti- uh, trial in uh, in Canada with uh, with sick kids um, that uh, that was quite successful uh, and Tilray patients in, in Canada, uh, many of which are both uh, pediatric and adult uh, epileptic patients that that take various Tilray preparations.
2: Did cannabis help you when you were working in the government at the time? Like, were you considering then? Uh, I never worked in the government or uh but as a because you were a rec- representative then or what you're no,
1: i i work for a consulting firm i work for a couple of think tanks um, okay and, uh, analysis to the government
2: but you're because you said you had the master's in international affairs uh yeah, and you, I, yeah I mean were you oh, using it back then interact with governments
1: i'm just saying i've never been in the government. oh got you. <laughs> got you um but no i i to be honest with you um I'm also asthmatic, uh, and so um, so smoking uh, cannabis has been more difficult. Uh, as a but, I do like. Um uh, the occasional edible. Um, uh, there's a beverage company that I'm an investor in called Artet, uh, which is, which is a great uh, a great beverage company, uh, which is five milligrams of THC, which I think is quite good. Right. So, do
3: they do they make it? Uh, what's what type of beverage is it? Is it just like a seltzer water or what? So I'm an investor in a couple of
1: different beverage companies. One is a CBD seltzer uh, called Sweet Reason, uh, and the other is Artet, which is a um, basically a, um, a botanical preparation. Uh, that has a THC in it and Tonic. Um, And they just launched a a can uh, that's available in uh, in California, which is pretty exciting.
2: Yeah. Uh,
1: there's also a beverage program as part of the parent company. kaliva um, owned its own CBD beverage company, um, and um, and LCD had a has a um, a brewery or a bottling factory for for um, for a, for a, a THC uh, beer. Um, oh. uh, and so we're in the process of integrating those capabilities together, and you know, beverage will be uh, will be a part of our brand platform um, in California.
3: Nice. yeah a thc beer would be fantastic then i'd probably not have to drink again uh but i drink a lot of cbd beer i'm sorry thc beer um that's that's cool. So, is it made from one of those nano emulsion properties? Have you heard of those types of things? Yeah, I mean, there's lots of
1: technology in it. Uh, nano emulsion is one of them. Um, you know, lots of lots of people a lot smarter than me are trying to figure out best ways to um, to get cannabinoids, uh, particularly THC, into a beverage format. Um, and to make it consistent uh, and not, um, you know, even even so much as going to the, the technology around the can and the can liner is going to be important with THC because many of the THC beverages that came out a couple of years ago, when you went to buy them in the dispenser, you could just see that the THC would just cake, you know, cake itself either on the top or you know, on the side of the bottle. Um, and so, you technology has gotten much better. Um, and so, uh, so some of the newer beverages that have come out in the past year are, are, are quite exceptional. Man, I can't wait to try.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that sounds exciting. <laughs> Uh, we recently put out a poll asking our audience what they want most to know about uh, cannabis stocks. Thirty percent of the pollers, thirty-six percent of the pollers said they want to know the basics and get a better understanding about the industry. It's a broad question, but what do you think is most important for listeners to know about the cannabis industry as far as like investing wise? Like, how can I invest into the parent company? Like, is it on Robinhood? Um,
1: so no, um, none of the none of the U.S. Uh, THC plant touching companies are listed um, on a U.S. exchange that allows uh, them to be traded on Robinhood or Weeble or any of the sort of retail apps uh, that people are used to. Um, and so we have an OTC share and a and a NEO listed share in Canada. Um, you can trade it on every major trading platform like you know Merrill Lynch or E Trade, um, you know uh, whatever Fidelity, whatever okay. your are trading is you're, you're able to trade that F share which is uh, Gram F um, and then in, uh, in Canada it's Gram.U um, but, uh, but we're not there yet once we're on the NASDAQ um, or the New York Stock Exchange uh, will be able to trade. We'll be able to have investors trade that on uh, on on uh, on their Robinhood. There is an ETF out there called MSOS, uh, which holds about three million of our shares. Um, they started buying our shares um, before we de spac and have continued to increase their wow. position, and they've done that through a swap mechanism. Um, so it's a pretty interesting platform. Um, the the ETF sponsor is called Advisor Shares, um, and it's and the ticker is MSO. Uh and they basically are, you know, investing in US MSOs um, and single state operators like us, um, and uh, um, they've done it through a swap mechanism. So they don't actually hold the equity; they hold the right to the equity, um, but the investor gets the benefit of it. So uh, they, they figured out a workaround, which is a pretty compelling, um, a pretty compelling uh, platform.
2: Yeah, no kidding,
3: man. Does that sound like a stack of contracts nobody wants to read? <laughs>
2: Nobody's well, reading, <laughs> reading them. The SEC is
3: just approving it. I'll just stamp that. Yeah. Okay. It did well, take a time, though. I think it took about a year
1: for them to get approval from the SEC to put this together. So it's a very creative and good team over there. Dan Ahrens is the is the portfolio manager there, and I think he's done an exceptionally good job. And we're we're honored at the parent company to be a part of his uh, portfolio.
3: Yeah. Well, that, that is a fascinating aspect of the, the industry. Now, I guess. He just won't have to use the swaps. Once everybody can be listed on the industry, he could just buy the stock and then have the, uh, you know, whatever allocation that he wants in his ETF.
1: Right, so on legalization, when we're allowed to list, when these companies will list on U.S. exchanges, like those swaps will just get closed
2: um, and then I'll hold the equity. This is why I smoke weed. I don't fucking understand what you guys just talked this about. This is
3: why we need weed. <laughs> the world is just getting more complex and the future is here more and more every day. We need weed for us to be able to understand what the f
2: is going on pretty much dude i think 70 other million people need weed to figure out what's going on too man
3: cannabinoid deficient ones definitely need weed
2: (laughs) i mean it's awesome i just i just hate that there's so many layers of paperwork like the Panama paper type bullshit right like you have to go through stupid hurdles just to be like i want to do business i want to be a proper businessman and and, you know i want to give you an option to invest in me but yet you have to like have 20 degrees of paperwork just to say, we are not that guy over there. But if you want to give them money, go ahead, because we'll eventually get. I mean, just- yeah, I mean, the barriers
1: to entry to enter into this industry are, are much higher than anything else. It's easier to buy a gun. It's easier to get a driver's license. It's easier to open a bar. It's easier to open a liquor store. Um, and so, you know, the barriers to entry and the cost to entry in many jurisdictions is, you know, out of most people's reach. And yeah. so that needs to change.
3: Yeah, and so I'm always lobbying Illinois. I'm like, your cheapest option for a cultivation is like five to ten million dollars. That's your cheapest option. Right. What do you think? What do you think the illicit market's going to go? No, one
1: hundred percent correct, and also doesn't provide any ability for social equity because the yeah. only. Can raise five to ten million dollars are well-funded white men um access to banking uh access to private equity fam high net worth individuals family offices um this isn't something where you can go into a credit union and ask for a five to ten million dollar loan for a business you cannot
3: that's right and that that really it 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 doesn't necessarily completely eviscerate social equity but it does kind of turn it into a game and when you keep it that high because then you you know that they're going to be a 51% owner of something, but they largely are a figurehead because they don't have $10 million. You know, sure. There it's a lot of their stuff. They say is going to be contingent on the license, but in the actual application for that license, you need to show your sources and usage and how are you going to have all this stuff? You know,
1: yeah, so you're absolutely right. And a lot of a lot of sort of untoward characters have gamed the system by bringing on, you know, an entrepreneur of color onto their board or to use their particular name and then the money behind it and the person doesn't get any economics. Yeah. Uh, we've seen that happen in Massachusetts and other places, and um, and that needs to change.
2: Well, a lot of it's back to that limited license BS that that's out there, right? Here at Washington State, when they made 502 Recreational, uh we had kush kush on uh they bought the license at 2500 right i mean when your license is more valuable than your company because now that license can sell for five million that doesn't even include the 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 the, the brick and mortar probably it's just the license which is inflated bullshit market you know if if there was unlimited license everybody have an option and an option a chance to fail and that's what should it be about right but agreed i agree Um, Okay. Well, I mean, if there's something else that
3: I would want to talk about, like uh, briefly, uh, how do you, have, have you seen what New Jersey's doing? Not necessarily when it comes to specifically social equity, but with their uh, different types of licenses that they have, not just the micro business, but also the conditional license.
1: Yeah, it's not really a jurisdiction I've tracked that closely, to be honest. So I'm really not an expert um, other than to congratulate them on uh, on uh, legalizing for adult use, um, because I think that it's provided a give uh, a punch in the arm to New York uh, to get their shit together so people in uh, New York don't go to New Jersey to buy weed. <laughs>
3: Yeah, and they have done some pretty interesting stuff uh, in New Jersey to keep it local and then also to keep uh, the person who's going to be getting one of those li- And they'll give them, like, priority, and so they'll kind of skip the line of the, the applications that are coming in. I like so that. eventually they'd be able to eat up all the licenses of that particular round before they even got to the old white man's. Yeah, uh,
1: I like,
2: like so, that.
1: You know, that's, a, that's, a that's a
2: good way to approach it. I mean, since Jersey's in your neck of the woods, you should be looking down now, start start questioning things over there. What, New Jersey is what? In, in your neck of the woods, you're on the East Coast, you know, I'd imagine it'd be a good yeah, I,
1: I hadn't, I haven't, tr- I've been so busy with uh, trying to de-SPAC this company, I haven't really been following the New Jersey regulatory framework over the past three months. Um, but um, but I am tracking very closely what's happening in New York. Um, sure. So, um, so, pretty excited about what's going to happen in New York.
2: I mean, yeah. you're still fresh, right? Six, six weeks since you closed. Wow, it's been six weeks. Yeah, wow. wow.
0: Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. Where can we go to find and follow what you guys got going on at the parent company?
1: Sure, you can follow us on social. Um, we uh, we've got a, a parent company um, Twitter handle and uh, an Instagram handle, as well as Monogram Company, um, uh, which is Jay Z's brand as part of the parent company, also on Instagram and uh, and Twitter. We just put out of one of our our third episode of a uh, of a of a video series that we call. High tales, uh, where we interview people's first experiences with cannabis, um, and so Tinashe, uh an artist uh, that you know your 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 listeners will know, um, did a really great video about her first time and or just a couple of experiences that she had uh, in smoking cannabis and posted it on her Instagram to a million followers a couple of days ago, which is pretty exciting. Um, and uh, we have an IR website at the parent company, and um, and then you can obviously you know uh, if you want to uh, buy our stock in the open market Uh, the tickers are gram f on the otc and and gram.u in canada
0: awesome sweet thanks again for joining us and before we go shout out to goku or godku uh, for throwing us some cash as we said before half of everything we receive goes straight to cannabis prisoners commissary so thank you for that Uh, and thanks for tuning in everyone make sure you like and subscribe to keep up with all cannabis legalization news we'll see you on wednesday
1: great thank you so much Thanks. Thanks. thanks